The thief known as racism is all around. The construct of race has always been used to gain and keep power, to create dynamics that separate and silence. Racist ideas are woven into the fabric of this country, and the first step to building an anti-racist America is acknowledging America's racist past and present. This book takes you on that journey, showing how racist ideas started and were spread, and how they can be discredited. Through a gripping, fast-paced, and energizing narrative, Stamped shines a light on the many insidious forms of racist ideas, and on ways you can identify and stamp out racist thoughts, leading to a better future. Stamped by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Chapter 13, Complicated Abe. When we think of Abraham Lincoln, we think Honest Abe, black suit, white shirt, top hat, beard. The great emancipator, hmm? One of the best, or at least most, known and loved presidents in America's history. That's what we're taught. But Lincoln wasn't that simple. As I mentioned at the start of this journey, life rarely fits neatly into a box. People are complicated and selfish and contradictory. I mean, if there's anything we've learned from Thomas Jefferson, it's that you can be anti-slavery and not anti-racist. You cannot see black people as people but know that treating and enslaving them are bad for business. Bad for your brand. Bad for your opportunity. That's more in line of who Lincoln was. Gasp, I know. This would mean he'd have to perhaps rethink the whole Honest Abe thing. He wasn't that great a nickname anyway. He wasn't even that great a politician at first. Before he ever won, he lost. Got spanked in a Senate race in 1858 by a man named Stephen Douglas. Douglas was pro-slavery. Lincoln was fighting on behalf of the abolitionist movement. Because you can't win if you don't have an opposing view to debate. And the free soilers, the people who believe slavery should not continue to extend west. The two men debated, and Douglas, slick-tongued and sharp-suited, wiped the racist floor with Lincoln and won the election. But it wasn't a loss in vain. Though Lincoln was defeated, there was an obvious change in opinion in the country. A shift. Lincoln shifted with the shift and started to preach that slavery needed to end. But not because of the human horror. Because if labor was free, what exactly were poor white people expected to do to make money? If you, weren't on, or if you weren't one of the wealthy white people who owned slaves, slavery didn't necessarily work in your favor. Lincoln was speaking out of three sides of his mouth. On one hand, he wanted slavery gone. Black people liked that. On the other hand, he didn't think black people should necessarily have equal rights. Racists love that. And then on a third hand, a foot maybe, he argued that the end of slavery would bolster the poor white economy, which poor white people loved. Lincoln had created an airtight case where no one could trust him. Garrison definitely didn't, but everyone kinda wanted to. And when Lincoln lost, he'd still made a splash as his party, the Republican Party, won many of the House seats in the states that were anti-slavery. So much so that Garrison, though critical of Lincoln, kept his critiques to himself because he saw a future where maybe, maybe anti-slavery politicians could take over. But it was politics as usual for Lincoln. Because he'd taken an anti-slavery approach against Stephen Douglas, the Republicans were labeled Black Republicans, which was the worst thing to be called, obviously. There were still racists in the, in the North, still racists everywhere. And why would racists want to vote for the party in support of Black people? So Lincoln changed his tune. 
Or maybe he just sang the whole song while running for president. Lincoln was against black voting. Lincoln was against racial equality. Lincoln and the party pledged not to challenge Southern slavery. And Lincoln won. But with the 16th president of the United States in place, untrusting slaveholders broke into a panic. Panic that the economic institution that kept them living like kings would be in jeopardy. Panic that they wouldn't be able to stop slave revolts and be overthrown. Haiti, Haiti. So they did, they did what most people, well, most bullies do when they've been bested on the playground. They, the South, took their ball and left. The secession, which just means to withdraw from being a member of, not to be confused with succession, meaning a line of people sharing a role one after the other, like a succession of slavehold owners. Not to be confused with success, which means to win, because that didn't happen. Started with South Carolina. They left the Union, which means they start they were starting their own territory where they can make up their own rules and live their lives as racist as they wanted. Shortly thereafter, the rest of the South joined in, joined in on the disjoining. This was a big deal because to lose an entire region meant the other states lost that region's resources, all that land, those crops, those people, that wealth. But it happened, and the split-offs called themselves the Confederacy. They owned their own president, or they voted in their own president, Jefferson Davis, who had declared that black people should never and would never be equal to whites. There were now two governments, like rival gangs, and what have gangs always done when one gang feels their turf is being threatened? Fight. Welcome to the Civil War. The biggest change agent in the war was that slaves wanted to fight against their slave owners and therefore join northern soldiers in battle. They wanted the chance to fight against the thing that had been beating them, raping them, killing them. So the first chance they got, they ran. They ran, ran, ran by the droves. They ran north to cross into the Union and join the Union Army. Anything for freedom. And then got sent back. Anything for slavery. Union soldiers were enforcing the Fugitive Slave Act, which mandated that all, run of it, all runaways be returned to their, to their owners. This was the summer of 1861. But by the summer of 1862, the Slave Act had been repealed and a bill had passed that declared all Confederate-owned Africans who escaped to Union lines or who resided in territories occupied by the Union to be forever free of their servitude. And it was this bill that would morph into an even bolder bill by Lincoln just five days later. All persons held as slaves within any state under rebel control shall then, thenceforth, and forever be free. Just like that. Lincoln was labeled a great emancipator, but really, black people were emancipating themselves. By the end of 1863, 400,000 black people had escaped their plantations and found Union lines, meaning 400,000 black people found freedom, or at least the potential for it, because let's not pretend that life in the North, life across Union lines, was immediately sweet. It wasn't some bastion of peace and acceptance. The Union believed most of the same hype about black people as the Confederacy. The only difference was they pushed past owning them a little sooner. But their feelings towards black people, that they were lazy and savage and blah blah blah, were the same. On top of that, there were many black people who feared that freedom would be nothing without land. What good was it to be free if they had nowhere to go and no way to build a life for themselves? And what about voting? There were a couple of questions at hand, a few of the issues Lincoln was trying to work through. 
What he was comfortable with, however, was the way black people raised, praised him. They'd run up to him in the street, drop to their knees, and kiss his hands. And when the Civil War finally ended in April of 1865, on the 11th day of that same month, Lincoln delivered his plans for Reconstruction. And in that plan, he said what no president had ever said before him, that blacks, the most intelligent ones, should have the right to vote. No wonder three, day, three days later he was shot in the back of the head.